Uh, I love Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to you moms out there. And uh, thinking about mothers, of course, you can't help but think about children. Without mothers, you can't have children. Without children, you don't have mothers. It kind of goes together. And there's this, uh, this one verse that came to my mind as I was holding Elisa because she's so little. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, talks about how we have been engraved in God's hand. Our name. And the name represents the person. So in a very real sense, we sing about how God has the whole world in his hands. But there are verses that make it very, very personal. That God has each of you in his hands. And just thinking about, about that, about holding little Elise in my hand. And you thinking about you, you moms when you held your little babies for the first time. God's continuing to hold you, and he has always been holding you in the palm of his hand like that. That's God's heart for you. And I guess I like Mother's Day because it does remind us a little bit of, of God's heart. Uh, we see the heart of God in our mothers, and we're so grateful to you moms that have taken full advantage of the opportunity and the position that God has given you to reflect well upon the, the nature of God and his heart for us. There is, when it comes to parenting, a lot at stake. Our, our children, we, we mentioned this, he belongs to the Lord. Our children belong to the Lord. Your children are your children, but your children belong to the Lord as much or even more so. And so what we do with regards to our children, how we relate to our children, how we parent our children, it's very, very important how as a church family we deal with our children. It's very important because we're dealing with God's kids. We're dealing with his creation. We're dealing with the people that he came, suffered, and died for to redeem. So there's a lot at stake here, and it really does break my heart when I recognize that unfortunately in this room, some of us, we had difficult times with our own mothers. Maybe you had a mother that was, was not a believer, or maybe she was a believer but just for the longest time didn't walk with the Lord. And for some people, this is actually kind of a painful time thinking about our own childhood and our own mothers and recognizing they weren't who they needed to be. And God bless you if you were able to move past some of the untruths that were spoken into your life because of a mother or a father or a family that just didn't speak truth to you in the way they behaved from an early age. There's, there's grace and forgiveness, but there's consequences. And we just know from our own children and we know from our upbringings of our, of our own that there's a lot at stake. And the sad thing is uh, we, we have a tendency, unfortunately, in this society to fail our kids. And uh, it is heartbreaking when you think about it. I'm a little bit concerned. I used to be a youth pastor, and I, I do keep up with some statistics. And I know that, that kids, children, teenagers in particular, they're not doing so well in, in our country. And one of the ways that we know this is the statistics that have to do with teen suicide rates in our country. From 1955 to 65 to 75, over a period of two decades, our country actually experienced an enormous amount of economic growth and prosperity. Uh, there was a period of tremendous optimism in our country, unlike anything that we have seen since that time. And yet at the same time, when things seem to be getting better for us as a country, the teen suicide rates increased by 300%. 300% in a very prosperous time in our nation. Since 1975, people have been tracking the statistics pretty closely, and teen suicide rates continue to, to climb. Kind of gradually, but they've continued to climb. 
since 2007 until 2015, which is the last time the Center for Disease Control did statistical analysis, in an eight-year period of time, suicide rates among girls increased by 56%. Among boys, it went up by 30%. And you say, well, are the girls catching the guys? Well, not exactly, because guys still commit suicide at a rate of 3 to 1 in comparison to the girls. Things have gotten pretty bad. For a long time, it used to be the number one killer in America, and it still is, for teenagers is, would be accidents. And then after that would be homicides. But suicides have surpassed homicides as the second leading cause of death for teenagers. You know what that means? That means that you can put bars on your windows, locks on the doors, and alarm systems through your house. But statistically, when it comes to protecting our children, the most dangerous person that our teens need to worry about, it's not the person who's lurking out in the shadows outside the home. It's the person who's in their bedroom already. The most dangerous person for a teenager's life, statistically, is the person who's always with him. Now, that breaks my heart to think about it. Then you add on top of that statistics with regards to mental illness. I was watching uh, NBC Evening News. Y'all know I like Lester Holt. Just my preference. And uh, Lester said something about three weeks ago that kind of stuck with me. He said that 20% of teenagers in this country suffer from mental illness. And I thought, no, come on. It wasn't like one out of five during their lifetime or during their teenage years at some point. Currently, 20% of teenagers suffer from mental illness. I thought, that just can't be the case. So I looked it up, and I went to teenmentalhealth.org, and here's what I read. The statistics are staggering. One in five young people suffer from mental illness. Now, the question in all of this is, what's the significance of this? What's the significance of all of the mental illnesses and increasing teen suicide rates and all the other things that our kids struggle with? What's the significance here? I think the person who put it best in terms of its significance is a teenager who committed suicide in the mid-80s. He hung himself from a tree in Houston, and he left a suicide note, and the note said, this is the only thing around here that has any roots. And that stuck with me because I was a teenager in Texas when that happened. And as a teenager, I was concerned about this because I had a cousin who, as a teenager, committed suicide. This is the only thing around here that has any roots. You know, on the one hand, roots is a positive-sounding concept. When we talk about being rooted in, here's what people mean. That person's stable. They've got consistency. They've got strength. Here's somebody who can stand against a storm. Here's somebody who's not a lightweight. They've got mass. They've got substance. To be rooted sounds like a very, very positive thing. We want roots. And yet at the same time, roots limit freedom simply because they nourish. They create stability. They give you stability and they give you consistency and certainty because they limit, because you're rooted in. And so one of the questions that everybody has to ask themselves and answer, and they always answer this question without necessarily asking it, but people determine at some point along the way, am I going to be rooted or rootless? Which way am I going in life? Which way do I want my kids to go in life? Now, our ancestors, they would talk a little bit more about roots. When our ancestors would talk about, I've got roots, here's what they meant. They meant, I've got family. I've got faith. Here's my family. Here's my faith. And because I have roots, I do what I do. I may not necessarily want to do what I do, 
I may want to sometimes go over here and sometimes I may want to go over here and sometimes the decisions that I make and the choices that I make don't seem to be in my own best interest, but I do what I do because I have roots. Moderns more and more opt for, we need to cut those filaments. We need to cut those roots because those filaments are like, they're like a netting that keep us held down. We need to cut those filaments. We need to cut those roots so we can say, now I'm free. But our ancestors had less so-called freedom and less despair. Our ancestors had less freedom, so-called, and less depression. Our ancestors had less so-called freedom and far fewer cases of mental illness and far fewer cases of suicide. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, especially as parents, would be, are we giving our children and are we giving future generations the kind of freedom that they really need? Now, thinking about all of this, I want you to turn your attention to Psalm chapter 1. In fact, let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. This is uh, Psalm chapter 1, and we're going to read all six verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, when you think of plants without roots, what comes to mind? Think of a plant without roots. Here's what comes to my mind, uh, the tumbleweed. The only thing I can think of in terms of a plant without, without roots is not rooted in. Now, the question is, in comparison to, let's say, an oak tree, what is more free, the tumbleweed or the oak tree? Well, it seems like it's the tumbleweed because the tumbleweed's always moving. Wherever the wind blows, there the tumbleweed goes. And it goes over here and it goes over there until eventually it comes to rest against a building or against a fence where it just shrivels up in the sun and crumbles and is no more. The Bible says, and this is way back, you know, several thousand years ago. The Bible said in our society, in this world, we've got a problem of rootlessness and a problem of weightlessness. But the problem of rootlessness and weightlessness, the, the problem isn't painted in terms of a picture about tumbleweeds. The picture that the Bible paints is a picture of chaff. The ungodly are like the chaff which the wind drives away. What's chaff? Well, it's an agricultural term. Uh, back in David's day when they would, uh, King David's day, when they would gather the grain, they'd take it and throw it up in the air. And the kernel, which was the heavy part, the substantive part, the organic part, would, because it's weighty, would just fall right back down to the threshing floor. But when they would throw up the grain, what would blow away would be the chaff. That was the husk. That was the shell. You couldn't eat it. It was basically worthless and weightless, and you were glad when the shell got blown away. So the, the chaff came to represent the life that consists entirely in externals. Who you are was entirely tied 
to where you were in any particular given moment. The life of the chaff was the life without roots. It was the life without weight. The life of the chaff was the life that was blown about completely at the discretion of the winds around it, whether it be the winds of public opinion or the winds of change or the winds of your own desires or the winds of suffering and difficulty. The life of the chaff was the life that was essentially trapped in the wind. But it didn't know it was trapped in the wind because when you're chaff, you don't feel the wind. You just go with the wind. And so there's a lot of movement and you feel free, but you're not really. Okay, let's stop talking metaphorically and uh, let's go to the movies. Maybe this, this will help. Uh, maybe you remember this character. Do we have a, a picture? How many of y'all remember that guy? Isn't that your favorite Batman movie? I mean, it was for me. I, I could watch it a hundred times. My family said, yeah, he does watch stuff a hundred times. Uh, this is the Joker played by Heath Ledger in the Dark Knight movie. He is the, the poster child for Chaff. He's a perfect picture of moral relativism because when it comes to the Joker, he has no rules. The Joker only has one rule, and that is there are no rules. And so the Joker just simply does what he desires to do. And he, he's, he's, he represents the chaos of the wind. He doesn't create the wind. He's just the result of the winds that are blowing. And so he's simply doing whatever he wants to do in any given moment. And that's why Alfred warns Batman. Some people, they just want to watch the world burn. Now, the, the question that we have to ask is, are there things that are always wrong? Are there things that are always right? And for Batman, there are several things that are always right and always wrong. And for the Joker, there are none of those things. The Joker's just doing what the Joker wants to do. And so he wants to kill people and kill them slowly and cut their faces and blow up buildings and all the rest. And he's laughing all the time. Why is he laughing all the time? No guilty conscience. In order for you to have a guilty conscience, you have to have this understanding, this belief that there is a standard that exists outside of yourself, above yourself, and this knowledge that you're going to be judged eventually, held accountable to this standard. But for the Joker, that doesn't exist. There are no rights and wrongs. There's just the wind. For Batman, there are rights and wrongs that, that are always there in him. And so he's the tree that's planted in Gotham. Joker's the chaff. And so to the Batman, Joker looks pathetic. But to Joker, Batman looks pathetic because they're in two different worlds. One has roots, one doesn't. Now that's the, the picture that the Scripture paints for us concerning the life of chaff. And it's a really sad picture because so many people fit the picture. This isn't to say that all the chaff are somehow sociopaths like the Joker was, but according to that relativistic, rootless way of thinking, everybody who's chaff has that particular potential. And the question is, what causes this life of chaff? And the Bible answers that question really clearly. What causes the life of chaff is ungodliness or godlessness. You might see it there in several verses. Verse 1, blessed is the man who does not Walk in, in the counsel of the ungodly. And then verse 4, it talks about, you know, the ungodly are, are not so, but they're like the chaff which the wind drives away. And then the word is used again, ungodly, in verse 5. And then again in verse 6, ungodly. Now, some of you, you've got modern versions, and you see that that word ungodly is translated wicked quite commonly. But it's not the same word as wicked. And wicked can mean vile or violent. And while all wicked people are ungodly, not all ungodly people are vile and violent. 
Ungodly just simply means that the roots of your soul don't go down into God. That God isn't your ultimate life source. That he's not the ultimate source of your joy. And so an ungodly person could be somebody who doesn't believe in God. And an ungodly person could be somebody who says, I don't know that there's a God. I'm an agnostic. Or I'm, or I'm an ungodly person because I just I don't really care to answer the question. I mean, that could all be ungodly. But an ungodly person could also be a person who believes who believes that believes in God and, and even a nice person who believes in God, but the roots of their soul do not actually go down into God, making God their life source. You can believe in God in general, but if your roots of your soul don't go down into God, if he's not your ultimate life source, that's a life without God. That's what it means to be ungodly. The ungodly, not so. They're driven like the chaff. Like the chaff, they're driven in the wind. Now, why does ungodliness produce what it does? I mean, what, what's, what does ungodliness or the lack of your roots going down into God create? Well, I've been able to identify at least three things from the Scripture in terms of what, what does this create in your life when the roots of your soul don't go down into God. And the first thing is this. Removing roots from God creates social instability. This is one of the reasons why the life of chaff is terrible. Friedrich Nietzsche is one of the people that, that I think everybody needs to read. And I know, yeah, he's an atheist philosopher and blah, blah, blah. God is dead. That's Friedrich Nietzsche. But if you don't understand at least a little bit about Friedrich Nietzsche, you're going to have a hard time understanding contemporary Western society. At the, the turn of the last century, Friedrich Nietzsche, who was an atheist, lamented the fact that the belief in God was losing its force in Western civilization. He was actually kind of disturbed that the belief in God was losing its power. And here's why. He said, when the belief in God dies, when God dies and loses its compelling force, life in the West is going to feel hollow. It's going to feel weightless, he said, like, like chaff. And Nietzsche warned about what was coming. And in the 60s, about 50 years ago, people started singing about it, singing about God is dead. And here's how it went. Some of you remember the, the, the group in the 60s, the Mamas and the Papas. This is kind of before a lot of our times, but some of us, we still know those songs. California Dreamin', Monday Monday, Dancing in the Streets. Does that ring a bell with anybody or am I just old? Okay, I'm just old and it rings a bell with people. Okay, thank you. Uh, there was this one song that they sang, Got to Go Where You Want to Go. And it went like this. You got to go where you want to go, do what you want to do with whoever you want to do it with. Now, I'm not so sure that God died in the 60s, but good grammar did. But that's how the song went, okay? You got to go where you want to go, do what you want to do with whoever you want to do it with. It's just, yuck, I don't know, man. How can you sing that? Anyways, I digress. Now, people thought it was going to be really good. Oh, this is wonderful. There's no Ten Commandments to guide us anymore. There's no God over us. There are no rules. The only thing that, that is there to guide us is our wantus. So I just, I'm just going to go where I want to go, do what I want to do with whoever I want to do it with. And people thought it was going to be great. The problem is the more people bought into that, the more people believed that, the more and more people we saw ripping each other off. And the more we saw people cheating and the more people saw, we saw people lying and the more we saw people entering into covenant commitments and then breaking those covenant commitments and all of the rest. And, and when you got done wrong, you wanted to say, well, that wasn't right. You did me wrong, to which the refrain was sung back to us. I'm just... Going where I want to go, doing what I want to do with whoever I want to do it with. 
It's the life of chaff. This is what Friedrich Nietzsche was talking about. When the belief in God loses its compelling force, society disintegrates. It's rootlessness. A perfect example of this happened just a few days ago for me. I was uh, looking for a Mother's Day gift for Gina, and she wanted a kayak. And so I went to Craigslist because I'm a good husband and cheap. And so I went to Craigslist, and there's some wonderful things out there. You know, how, you know how, many, how much do people actually use kayaks? They can last for like 20 years. You know, I'm going to find a good one. And we found one. I found one I liked. Gina liked it. And I made this deal with the guy for the kayak. It had only been listed for like a day. And we agreed on a price for this kayak and, a, and an oar. It's like 285 bucks. You're going to hold that for me until 8 o'clock. I'm going to come by by 7 o'clock. You're going to hold it until 8 o'clock. And I talked to him at 4 o'clock that afternoon. And he texts back, yes. And so I'm waiting around. He says, call me when, you know, at 6 o'clock. So I call him, and he doesn't answer. And I call again at 6.30, and I'm just waiting around to go get it. And then at 7, he texts me and says, oh, I sold it to somebody else. And I texted back this five-letter word, chaff. You know, no. No, I didn't really. Um, but that's what I was thinking at the time. I was like, man, you know, you can't keep your word for four hours? Really? Like, Really? And that's just with regard to a kayak. So I, you know, I went and got Gina a brand new kayak, and I spent more money than I had planned on doing. I felt good about it because I'm not giving chaff my money, you know. I mean, societal breakdown. This is what Nietzsche's talking about. People doing what they want to do with whoever they want to do it with, going wherever they want to go. And that may work for you individually, but the problem is you're not an island unto yourself, and society starts breaking down, and And all the statistics show that people are becoming more and more cynical because they're just saying, that's just chaff. This person says this, but it's just a husk. It's just a shell. There's no kernel. There's no truth. There's no weight behind it. And a lot of times they're right. And so people say, well, if I get lied to, why don't I lie? If they're they're cheating, why don't I cheat? If I'm going to keep up and this is the world of chaff, how am I going to survive in a world of chaff? And, And so more and more, here's what the rule is. It's not that everybody's a joker. But people are saying, well, there are no rules. And actually, there are, there are two rules in a world in which there are no rules. And the rules are he who has the gold makes the rules and do unto others before they do unto you. That's societal breakdown. That's what Nietzsche said was coming, and it did. And here we are, and people aren't enjoying it so much. So that's one of the things. When the roots are removed from God, there's a social instability, but there's also a psychological instability. You remove your roots from God, and you start losing your identity. If there's not something in you that is always there, if there's not something in you that, to which you're always committed, you kind of start not knowing who you are. If there's not a belief in you to which you're always true, if there's not a, a right and wrong, if there's not something beyond yourself to which you're always connected, you, you start not knowing who you are because all you are in that case is just a series of faces, a series of facades, a series of masks going where you want to go, doing what you want to do with whoever you want to do it with, and you've lost your identity to the wind that is blowing you. What I mean to say is, if there is not something in you that is always there, if there's not something in you to which you're always committed, there is no you in you. And people don't know who they are. Some people really, they just, they don't know who they are. 
and the reason they don't know who they are is you don't find yourself in this world by getting blown from job to job or marriage to marriage or commitment to commitment. Nobody finds themselves in this world. You define yourself by the promises that you make and the covenants that you keep. You define yourself by where you're rooted and how seriously you draw from those roots. Nobody ever finds themselves by being blown around from here to there and everywhere. Of course people have an identity crisis. There's no identity to be found. So there's social instability and psychological instability. These are a couple of serious, serious problems that we see showing up in early, early times for our children and for our teenagers. But there's something else that's kind of pathetic or sad about all of this, and that is when you remove your roots from God, you're living in deception. It creates incredible deception. Here's what I mean. When I was in South Texas, I remember my first time sailing on a sailboat, uh, and it was an exhilarating experience. I'd kind of done it a little bit before, but didn't really go with anybody that knew what they were doing. But I was with a couple of friends who knew what they were doing. And here's the most interesting thing that I experienced on the sailboat was learning that when the wind is behind your back, you don't really feel the wind. It was a very interesting thing. I mean, we were just we were just trekking with the wind, you know, perfectly at our backs. And you can feel yourself moving, and you know you're moving because you're going over the waves, and you can see the land, and, and you just kind of feel it in your gut. But you don't actually feel the wind because all of it's in your sail. Barely feel it. And it's an exhilarating experience because you just feel like you're on top of the world and you feel like this power that's, that's a part of the movement in the moment. And then you get to thinking, well, that's a chaff. A, a, a piece of chaff is all sail but no boat. Imagine the freedom and the exhilaration that the chaff has to feel, but it doesn't actually feel anything other than that it's moving. And the reality is the chaff doesn't know that it's trapped by the wind. It just feels that it's free because it doesn't feel the wind. You know who feels the wind? You know who knows from which direction the wind is blowing and how powerful the wind is? It's the tree that's rooted. The oak tree knows exactly from which direction the wind is blowing and knows exactly the power and the nature of the wind. The chaff doesn't know because it's trapped. The chaff feels it's free and liberated, and the reality is it's totally enslaved to its environment. It's doubly enslaved because not only is it enslaved to its environment, it's so enslaved it doesn't know that it's enslaved, which is the worst kind of slavery, to be enslaved and not know it. That's where people are living. That's the picture that the Bible paints of chaff. People are getting blown from one relationship to another, one job to another, one church to another, one family to another, one marriage to another, just blown around following their wannas, but not really following their wannas, being driven by their wannas in a way that they don't even know because they're chaff. Now, most of us here, we go, you know, I don't, I don't think I really want to be a chaff. Weightless, rootless, deceived, disintegration societally, disintegration in terms of identity, not knowing who I am, deception. I don't think I want a life of chaff. And, you know, I don't know that I really want a life of chaff for my kids either. Okay, well, good for you. So how do I escape this? How do I become solid? How do I become real? How do I, how do I, how do I develop for myself and for my children the substantial life that I know is appropriate? How do we do this? Well, the key is pretty simple. What's the difference between chaff and a tree? 
and the chaff are not connected to anything beyond themselves, the tree is. Chaff doesn't have roots. The, the tree does. It's pretty clear from this particular passage that the righteous person, the godly person, is the person who has roots in God, who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Let's just go ahead and read this again. Verses, verses 2 and 3. Scripture tells us, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It's clear that putting your roots down into the law of the Lord upon which you meditate day and night parallels the person who puts their roots down in the tree that puts its roots down into into the river and it makes you substantial and if you want to be the substantial person if you want to be the stable person if you want to have the certainty and the strength and the wisdom you've got to put your roots down into the truth of God and not just any truth you've got to put it down into the truth of God and here's why the Bible tells us that God alone is substantial that God alone is glorious and the Hebrew word for glory is weight because God alone is the only one who, who always lasts. He's the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and end. He is, the, he is the beginningless and endless God. He's the only one who has the glory. And we lack the glory except to the degree that our roots are in God, except to the degree that we're connected to God. We are ephemeral. We are weightless. We are fading. We are fleeting, except to the degree that our roots go into the one who is substantial and who lasts. And this isn't just about obeying the Bible in some uh, abstract way. It's not like, well, okay, God said this and I didn't do what God said, but I wasn't dissing God. Well, no, wait a second. Hold on just a moment. I know God's word isn't the same as God, but it kind of is. If Gina tells the kids or you tell your own kids, hey, you need to do this, and they, and they disobey. And then you get on to them and say, well, I wasn't disobeying you. I was just disobeying what you told me. You've raised a philosopher <laughs> who gets an F because your words and your commands are an extension of you. They disrespect your direction. They disrespect you. They've pushed you to the margin and they put themselves in the center. It's, it's not just about what you've told them. What you've told them is intricately connected to you. You meditate on you delight yourself in the law of the Lord, and you meditate on it day and night. Why? Because the Lord is your delight. Your roots are going down into Him. The roots of your soul are, are in Him. They're sucking the life from Him. That's what roots do. They, they draw life into you and change you and transform you. This isn't just about, I'm going to obey the Bible, you know, like I just obey posted speed limits or something like this. It's just the rule book, and I'm going to do the rules. No, we're talking about an organic relationship that we celebrate, like one that we celebrate today. We're not just celebrating our moms because, hey, I remember my mom laid down some really good rules and, uh, you know, that really helped me to survive childhood. It's like, no, 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 there's something more there. When you were heeding her instruction and following her example, you were giving life. And then as you get older, you look back on those times with your mom and living in obedience and living in community with her and you're thinking, there was something in terms of my roots going into that life that tra transformed me and changed me. And now I delight myself in my mom. I delight myself in her ways. It's not just there were rules and I obeyed them. There's something personal that's going on here. And to the degree 
that we do not delight in the Lord to the degree that we disobey him, we are fleeting, we are fading, we are ephemeral, we have no glory, we have no weight. Let me just give you some examples of this. Uh, suppose you lie. Every time you lie, you know what you're doing? You're, you're casting a vote for the husk. You're casting a vote for the shell. You're, every time you, you tell a lie to make yourself look better, you're voting against the kernel, against the truth, and you're casting your vote for the appearances, for the surface of things. You're hollowing out. We could go on all kinds of examples. Here's another one. Every time somebody has sex with someone with whom they are not married and they make, and they make it something other than what God wants it to be, which is an expression of permanent commitment in a marital relationship, guess what? You're hollowing out. You're saying, hey, I just, look, 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 I just want to live with him. I just want to live with her. But I don't want the commitment of marriage. You know what you're doing? You're saying, I'm absolutely committed to not being committed. How hollow is that? I'm absolutely committed to non-commitment. Why should I commit to anything other than my own happiness? That, you know how hollow this is? It doesn't even seem hollow to people anymore because it's so commonplace. I don't have to keep my word until 8 o'clock today because, you know, I make the rules. I'm just going where I want to, where I want to go, doing what I want to do with whoever I want to do with because my ultimate commitment is just to me. You've got no roots. Whoa, did somebody just drop a baby? Okay, good. Whew, it's Mother's Day. Here's how it's put over in First uh, Peter. Let's go over there. First Peter. Chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. See, the Word of God cannot be taken into your life in just an abstract way, like I'm going to obey the posted speed limits and I'm not going to... No, no it has to be taken into your life in, in an organic way. Because what Peter's talking about here is purity coming into your inmost being. He's talking about being born again in, in love so that when you're commanded to love, it comes naturally as a result of the roots having gone into the ultimate lover of your soul. And so in verse 22, he says, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers. We're not just talking about following rules. We're talking about something that is happening in your life in relationship with God. We're talking about you becoming more real. We're talking about you being rooted. We're talking about your roots taking up life into your very being. And for those whose roots do not go down into God, for those who are godless, for those who lack the kernel in the middle, here's what happens. It's really too bad because they're like grass and their glory's gone like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. On our own, apart from God, we're like dust. We're like chaff. But when we take the word of the Lord into our lives and we're reborn by the word of the Lord, by the gospel, guess what happens? We stand. Because verse 25 tells us, the word of the Lord stands forever. What Peter's telling us, the psalmist is telling us, is if you want weight, if you want substance, if you want to last, if you want glory, if you want stability, if you want certainty, you put your roots down into the Lord who stands forever. If you want to stand forever, you stand in the one who stands forever. It's not that complicated. So the question that people have to ask 
is am I going rootless or rooted? And if you're going to be rooted, you need to plant yourself in the appropriate place, which is in the, the Lord himself. You delight yourself in his law and on his law, in his ways. You meditate day and night. You're like the tree planted by the rivers of water. Your leaf doesn't wither. You bear fruit in due season. Whatever you do prospers. You stand in the judgment. You don't pass away like the chaff and the ungodly. So what do you want? Well, I know what I want for my children. I think most of us here, we ought to know what we want for our children. Well, here's just a couple of of, of words that I hope are sobering to you, and that is oak trees have a tendency to beget oak trees. Tumbleweeds beget tumbleweeds. You want your kids to be oak trees? You better not be a tumbleweed. It doesn't work that way. Apple don't fall far from the tree, we like to say. Tumbleweeds produce tumbleweeds. You want your kids to be rooted? Get rooted. Trees don't just kind of plant themselves. You, you want your children to grow up in the Lord. You be in the Lord and you influence their lives as the oak tree that you are or perhaps the tumbleweed. But you've got to make a choice as a parent. I talk about this all the time with, with staff, whether it be children's ministry, youth ministry, talking with Brad, talking with Beth. We, we just we have observed this. I've observed this over the 20-plus years that I've been doing ministry. Parents who are tumbleweeds cannot be compensated for by any amount of fantastic children and youth ministry. just doesn't work that way. As a youth pastor or children's minister, we can supplement what parents are doing. I think this is probably true and observable in the Children's Day Center as well. We do what we can do with the kids that we are entrusted with. But if mama and daddy are tumbleweeds, turning that kid into an oak tree is an uphill battle. You know, it's kind of interesting in here too, and I think this is a mistake people commonly make. You see that the blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Tumbleweeds just run around with other tumbleweeds. It's a crowd thing. A lot of times parents say, well, you know what? If the, if I want my kid not just to be with the bad crowd, I want them to be with the good crowd. And so sometimes parents get to thinking, I don't want them running with them, I want to run with them, so we're going to move over here to this community, or we're going to be a part of this school, or we're going to be part of of this church instead of that church, and we're just going to move around and find the right group for my kids to run with. That's not how the Bible approaches the solution. The problem is he's got tumbleweeds run with tumbleweeds. But what's the solution for your child to develop roots? They need to delight, to delight themselves in the law of the Lord. And, and in that law, meditate day and night. The solution is we, isn't, we need to change crowds. Because my kids are with the wrong people. You know what the solution is? Your kids need roots. And if you're not serious about being rooted, your kids are not going to be either. There's a lot at stake here with regards to your kids. There's a lot at stake here with regards to the kids that belong to Christ. So let's choose wisely. 
Because as things are tracking, and as our world becomes more and more tumbleweed-esque, more and more chaff-esque, suicide rates continue to climb, mental illness continues to climb, the kernel's no longer there, society is falling apart. It's about time for parents who believe in Christ to step up to the plate and get serious. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the love and the grace that you have bestowed upon us and the high calling that you've placed upon us as Christians and as parents. And uh, Lord, it's foolish for us to think that our children would ever thrive in this world apart from roots. So help us as your people to help our children and our grandchildren and those we influence to get rooted. Those are the children whose leaf never withers. Those are the children who bear root in due se- do, do, bear fruit in due season. Those are the children who prosper. Whatever they do, it prospers because they've got roots. Lord, help us not to go the way of the world and help us not to avoid our particular calling as mothers and as fathers of the children for which you died. Lord, I don't know what you've led each and every one of us in this room to do, but I do pray, Lord, that we will dig in all the more deeply as your people and be rooted not only for our own sake, but for the sake of our children and for the sake of the world that they influence. Help us, Lord, to respond appropriately to your Holy Spirit, and we ask that in Jesus Christ's blessed holy name. Amen.